Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 203 of the Tick Bootcamp Podcast. The title of today's interview is Enduring Spirit, an interview with Aaron Myers. My name is Richard Johannesson. And I'm Matt Sabatello. Matt, we named this episode Enduring Spirit because we have a young woman who has been battling Lyme disease without a diagnosis for over 30 years. But despite all the time and all the medical incompetence and all the challenges that she's faced, she fought for a diagnosis and finally, after 30 years, received a Lyme disease diagnosis. Rich, Erin taught us so much about getting ready for Lyme treatment after such a long diagnostic journey. She had to get cavitation surgeries done and a lot of oral health looked at before she could even treat Lyme disease. Once she was past the hurdle of her oral health, she used IV ozone and a wide variety of other things like muscle testing to start her healing journey. So Matt, it doesn't matter when you get diagnosed. What's important is that you do get diagnosed and you never give up on your diagnostic journey. And more importantly, you never give up on your healing journey. And this is a woman who is going to heal now because she's finally gotten a diagnosis that she needs. So Matt, without further ado, I'm really excited to introduce the enduring spirit of Erin Myers to the Tick Bootcamp community. Hey, Erin Myers, and welcome to the podcast. Hi, thank you for having me. I'm so excited. We're really excited to have you on the podcast as well. So, Aaron, what we like to do is have you introduce yourself to our audience by uh, first sharing where you live. I live in Bakersfield, California. And are you a born and bred uh, West Coast gal or are you from somewhere else? I'm not. I'm actually from Massachusetts. So you're an East Coast gal. You grew up in the Lime Belt. (laughs) You got it. Yes. So um, how long did you live in Massachusetts and, um, and what did you know about ticks and tick diseases during your time as, a, as an East Coast gal? Um, I lived in Massachusetts until I was 27 years old and maybe I heard about Lyme disease in passing, but I, I, I really have no large recollection of, of ever really hearing about it or, or ticks for that matter. So Aaron, talk to us about what your childhood experience was like. What kind of sports did you play? What kind of activities did you participate in? And what was your educational experience like? Um, I didn't do any sports growing up. Um, I was more into the, the musical scene. I, I took piano lessons for many years, clarinet lessons, um, singing lessons. Um, Academic-wise, um, <laughs> I definitely didn't do as well in school as I would have liked to. Um, but you, you, so, so you were an artsy gal, and um, and so let, let's 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 focus on your your arts education and a little bit on your on your traditional education. Uh, was there anything that you learned when you were either studying the arts? or you were studying traditional courses in your educational experience, whether they be science courses or health courses, where you learned about how to protect yourself from ticks and tick diseases? Never, never. So Aaron, talk to us about what kinds of things you were working toward when you were a young person, meaning what were you dreaming about doing? Were you dreaming about becoming a professional artist or were you dreaming about doing some other things? Um, I remember, a very distinct moment. I was, I was 13 years old and I was at the local library and I was just obsessed with looking at cookbooks, um, in all genres. And I, I knew I wanted to cook, um, at the age of 13 years old. And I remember, um, you know, my parents, they, they, um, 
we grew up with very low fat food. Everything was lean. I grew up on skim milk. Um, so here I was, I wanted, I wanted to make these rich dishes for my parents. I remember one night I, I made a fettuccine Alfredo and I was super proud of it and really excited about it. But that was, that was very, uh, fattening and, and rich, um, for my family. But yeah, I, I, I knew that I wanted to cook at the age of 13. I really wanted to go to Johnson and Wales. That's a, uh, cooking, uh, a four-year undergraduate school in, in Rhode Island, um, that focuses on, uh, cul the culinary arts. Um, unfortunately, um, <clears throat> my parents wanted me to <clears throat> well, I shouldn't say unfortunately, they wanted me to focus more on the traditional academics and, you know, get that under my belt first. And maybe, maybe later down the line, if I wanted to focus on cooking, I could, but so that was upsetting because I already knew what I wanted to do, but the, the cooking had to come later. So you always felt the, the draw to the arts. You went from being a musician to being a, uh, somebody in the culinary arts, uh, but you first <laughs> went to college and, uh, and, and uh, honored your parents' request to get a traditional education. So talk to us about your traditional education in college. When you were in college, uh, were you taking any courses uh, about fitness or health? And were you learning anything about ticks and tick diseases? Um, I actually went to college with the um, idea that I wanted to become a nutritionist. So, um, I've never done well in, in, in the sciences. I always struggled in high school and <laughs> that carried over to college as well, even though, um, you know, even though I was super fascinated and I really wanted to become a nutritionist and, um, no, I didn't, I didn't, again, I didn't learn anything about, about tick, tick, tick-borne diseases. Um, unfortunately. So Erin, you said that you've had your struggles in school and would, would any of those struggles in school be parallel to any of the health issues that you were dealing with since you were a young child? I would say indirectly, um, very, very indirectly. I mean, it's, it's, I don't know, it's always been incredibly difficult for me to focus. Um, I'm e very easily distracted very easily distracted. Even if I'm reading about something that I'm super interested in, it's, it's, it's challenging for me. So I, I, I would say, yes, that's, that, that affected my, my ability to concentrate in school. So let's talk about when your, when your symptoms began to present, how old were you when you first started to exhibit symptoms or illnesses that were impacting your quality of life? You know, I want to, I want to say maybe around the age of five years old, maybe, maybe it could have been five, six or seven. I want to say five or six. I, I started um, developing these horrible, horrible ankle pains. Um, the ankle pains were so bad that my parents had this Ottoman chair and it had, I remember it had this metal, metal circle base on it. And I would put my ankles underneath the base of, of the, of the stool because it was cold and it had, it provided weight on my ankles. And somehow that, that helped with the pain, um, sounds really bizarre. And, but my pediatrician at the time and all through my, um, teenage years attributed it to growing pains. 
Uh, now, did your pediatrician provide you with any testing or or analyze uh, any any other symptoms that you had to determine whether or not you were dealing with something other than growing pains? No, never. Now, did you have any other symptoms develop over time after you um, had your diagnosis of growing pains from your pediatrician? I would say um, my my um, intestinal problems started as a as a preteen, and that has carried now over until until now. Well, let's talk about the development of your intestinal problems. First of all, what were they like, and when did you first start? start seeing doctors about your intestinal problems? Um, I, far, I started seeing a gastroenterologist when I was, I would say 16 or 17. And my, um, I had an, an, an endoscopy done um, because I had horrible, horrible acid reflux. Um, at that time, I had a sigmoidoscopy, um, which is not as, in, well, it is as an invasive as a as a colonoscopy, but you don't have to be put to sleep. And they only check, um, they only go up about halfway in, in your, in your colon. Um, and when I had the endoscopy done, it was determined that my, you know, my esophagus was inflamed for, for lack of a better word. So I, I started taking pro, uh, proton pump inhibitors. Um, I believe I take it, I was taking Prilosec at the time, the little purple pill, um, at the age of 16, which is very, very young. Um, and then I didn't start taking anything, uh, for my irritable bowel syndrome, because that's what I was diagnosed with until, um, the age of 21 or 22, I would say. Okay. So, so First, you had these arthritic type pains um, that were that were a part of your entire childhood. Now you're having these intestinal problems. Did you have any other symptoms, um, fatigue or anything else, uh, other than, of course, you also also described to us you had you had troubles uh, focusing and you had uh, troubles in your educational experience because you had difficulties focusing. Uh, were there any other symptoms that you were dealing with during your childhood? Yes, I had horrible sinus problems. Um, I used to get so, uh, horrible sinus infections, so much so that I was scheduled to have surgery to um, fix my deviated septum at the age of 18. And a couple of days before my scheduled surgery, I came down with the flu. So I had to cancel the surgery and I, I never, I never rescheduled it. And I'm really happy about that. I'm, I'm glad that I didn't, I didn't go forth with it, but yes, I had horrible sinus problems. Okay. So now we have, we have sort of immune disruption or immune challenges uh, coupled with, with arthritic type of issues coupled with uh, irritable bowel type uh, issues. Was there any doctor that was sort of tying all of these symptoms together for you? Um, no. And let me, let me add, if, if I may, um, I, I had, um, horrible, painful periods and, um, I, I started the, the birth control pill for my painful periods at the age of 13. And if I could go back in time, I would not do that, but wow. I did. Why, why, why would you, why would you have taken a different path for that particular symptom than uh, was prescribed for you by your doctors? 
because no disclaimer was given to me back then about all of the adverse effects that the birth control can give you. Um, they just give you the pill. And while it did help with my cramps, no doubt, I think the I was on it for 16 years straight. And I think that completely destroyed my already sensitive gut. So now let's, let's focus on all of these symptoms that you, that you were now managing. How many different doctors did you treat with? And did anyone ever give you a diagnosis that tied all these symptoms together? No. Um, I mean, up in, um, I'll, I'll go up into my early twenties. You know, I, I had my pediatrician, my, my gynecologist, my, my gastroenterologist, my ear, nose and throat doctor. Um, I also suffered from horrible, horrible depression as a teenager. So I was seeing different therapists as well. Um, and I do believe that I was either as a teenager or in my early twenties, I did see a rheumatologist to see if I had arthritis, uh, rheumatoid arthritis, and I, and I was tested negative. However, I'm not sure that I was properly tested. Okay. So, 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 so Aaron, I guess the, the question that I, you know, that I'm, I'm asking you is you had a whole bunch of different doctors testing you for all kinds of different symptoms, none of whom were giving you a diagnostic outcome, right? I mean, no one gave you a diagnosis for what was wrong with you. And it seems to me that no one was coordinating your, your care, meaning was there, a, was there a primary care physician who was receiving all this information from the psychologists and from your, from your gastroenterologists and, and trying to come up with a general diagnosis or were your parents collecting any medical records? I mean, who was, who was managing this, uh, this um, diverse set of care that you were, you were receiving and who was trying to tie all this together, if anyone? Nobody, nobody. So now um, it sounds to me that you were, you were dealing with a lot of gastro type problems and they were developing over time. How are, how are all of these problems collectively impacting your ability to uh, you know, pursue your dreams? I Meaning how is it interfering with your ability to ultimately get to the place where you wanted to be and to become a, um, a uh, culinary artist? Um, I mean, they severely affected my life then and they're severely affecting my life now. Um, and they, they really, they really took off when I was, when I, in my sophomore year of college, um, so much so that, um, I couldn't leave my dorm for a month. I was, I was pretty much, uh, bedridden and bathroom bound. <laughs> it was, it was pretty bad. And, um, I would say, yeah, that was the turning point of, of my gastrointestinal problems. So um, what did you do when you had uh, that, uh, that breakdown when you were, you were a sophomore in college? Um, at the time, I just, I just wrote it out. And I, I would say maybe it was uh, a year later, six months to a year later that I started seeing a new, a new gastroenterologist, I believe, um, who then put me on uh, a very low dose of a, a very old antidepressant called amitriptyline. And at, at the time, you know, it was um, research that a, a very low dose could, could help with the muscle spasms in, in, in the colon. And how did that work for you? 
unfortunately, it's been so long now that I, I can't I can't truly remember. It, it might have helped to a very small degree, but I still remembering I still remember suffering greatly with with problems. So I, I don't really think it helped that much. So, Aaron, you you still wanted to pursue the culinary arts. What impact was all of these developing illnesses or these developing symptoms? symptoms having on your ability to pursue your dream of becoming a culinary artist? Well, at the time, this, this was all impacting my ability just to be, you know, in, in college, let alone um, wanting, wanting to pursue that. Um, so, I mean, it was, it was affecting my, 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 uh, my academic career greatly. Um, I did end up pursuing the culinary arts later, later in my twenties, but um, yeah, it was, it was, it was affecting, it was affecting it greatly. How is it affecting the rest of your life? Meaning socially first, was it impacting your ability to have friends, to go out, to do the kinds of things that young people do? Um, I would say, you know, up, up until about, about the age of, of 27, 28, you know, I, I was in a, it was in a six and a half year relationship um, in, in my twenties. And my boyfriend at the time, he was, he was, incredible. He was very loving and caring and understanding of, of my problems. Um, we, we were able to go out. I was still able to have a social life, but it, but it did impact it greatly. Um, sometimes we'd have to leave places early. Um, I would get nauseous a lot. I remember I would have to lie down a lot. So it, it, it impacted it tremendously though. So let's talk about now your, your completion of your undergraduate education and your uh, moving into the workforce. Uh, did you complete your undergraduate education and did you ultimately move into the workforce? I did not complete it, no. Um, and then I would say, again, until, until about the age of 27, I was taking one or two classes here and there to try to finish my undergraduate and I was, I was working simultaneously, um, but I just, I couldn't get it together and, and, and finish and finish my undergrad. So what were you doing uh, professionally at that time? Um, I really enjoyed working domestically in private homes. I've always loved cooking and cleaning and taking care of people. So I worked um, in a couple of, you know, very, very well-to-do high-end homes, um, cooking, cleaning, doing errands um, for, for some really wonderful families. So you were able to begin doing the work you always wanted to do, and you were, you were now uh, starting to pursue your culinary arts. Mm -hmm. So how was your health at that time, and how is it impacting your ability to do the work that you were doing? Compared to now, my health was, was pretty darn good. Um, you know, I, my diet, um, even though I, I would say I ate relatively healthy, you know, I didn't, I didn't, I've never really eaten fried food or, um, I've, I've always loved fruits and vegetables, but my, I've always had a, a strong liking toward refined carbohydrates. I loved cookies and brownies and cakes. I'd eat dessert twice a day um, in copious amounts. 
I would always say the, the meal was the means to the end of just getting to dessert. All, all I cared about was dessert. So I, I ate a lot. Sarah, now, as your symptoms were developing, these diverse set or seemingly diverse set of symptoms were developing, did you use your passion for the culinary arts as a vehicle for determining whether or not you should change your diet to deal with the symptoms that you were facing? No. And I, I appreciate you asking that question because not one doctor that I saw ever touched upon my diet. Now, granted, I did get tested to see if I was lactose intolerant as a teenager. And I was, I was off the charts intolerant to dairy. So, um, but I started seeing a, a very top-notch gastroenterologist, I think at the age of 26 in Boston. And this is when I had my, uh, my first, um, my first and only colonoscopy done. And at the time he was the only doctor that ever suggested that I might have SIBO, small intestine, intestinal bacterial overgrowth. And he gave me these new, new pills that were on the market. I, unfortunately, I can't remember the name to, to address the, the, the overgrowth. Um, they didn't work. But I find it fascinating that you're telling me that I have this bacterial overgrowth, but you don't ask me one question about my diet. Um, and I find that very fascinating. So therefore, at that time, I, I had no, I, I never put two and two that maybe my diet had something to do with it. Now, when you were given your, your um, potential diagnosis for SIBO and you were given the medication that you were given, did the doctor talk to you about detoxing and the importance of detoxing in order to be able to overcome the challenges uh, associated with SIBO? No, and I, and I had not come across that word myself either. Okay. Now, one of the things that I'm also wondering is while you're going through this journey with all of these different gastroenterologists, did anybody ever talk to you about a meat allergy, uh, about the alpha-gal meat allergy, and whether or not you were suffering from um, a meat allergy, which was causing all of these intestinal issues that you were facing? No, no. Had you ever, had, have you ever heard of alpha-gal and, and uh, that tick disease and the impact that it has on uh, someone's gastroenterite, uh, I'm sorry, on someone's, um, on someone's gut health? No, not at all. So now, Erin, let's talk about uh, moving forward. So you're sort of struggling with your health. Uh, you're, you're, you're managing your health by, by going to different doctors who are helping you to uh, deal with your, um, your gut problems and your other problems. Um, how, does your life, how does your life develop and uh, where are you moving uh, toward personally and professionally? Um, so at the age of 27, um, I decided to move to Los Angeles. At that time, um, my six and a half year relationship ended and I, I wanted a change. I was sick of living in the Northeast and dealing with uh, the harsh winters. And I went to visit a friend in Los Angeles for the weekend. And at the end of the weekend, I decided I wanted to move there. And two months later I did. <clears throat> and it was the best decision I ever made. Excuse me. <clears throat> Um, so when I moved out to Los Angeles, um, I, I was so happy to be there. I remember I still was suffering with some intestinal problems, um, and sinus problems, but they, they started to go away maybe 
maybe six months to nine months living there. Now, granted, I, I do believe at some point I did give gluten up. Um, I was still eating gluten. Um, I don't know if it was, I was just so happy to be there or, or it was a, the small change in my diet that was making a difference, but my, my symptoms were lessening and my sinus problems went away. So Aaron, let's focus on that. Let's focus on the move to Los Angeles and, and let's focus on whether or not there were any other changes in your life. So one of the things that was happening was you moved from the East coast to the West coast. And another thing you started to do is you started to change your diet. Were there any other dietary changes that you made? For example, did you cut red meat out of your diet? And was that having an impact on your ability to manage your illnesses? When you say that, I, I, don't, I don't think I ate red meat once I moved to Los Angeles. So what was happening with your sinus issue as well, right? So you're starting to feel better. You're living on, on the West Coast. You're changing your diet. How is your health generally? Um, it, was, it, was, it was pretty good. I, it, I was... I, I, I would say pretty, pretty normal for a 27, 28 year old. So what are you now doing professionally when you move to the West coast? How are things changing for you in that part of your life? Um, after, um, about nine months, I finally enrolled in culinary school, which I was super happy about. Um, and that was a, that was a six month program, uh, five days a week. And, um, yeah. After, after I graduated culinary school, um, you know, I was, I was 28 years old and I really wanted to be a private chef. I had no desire to work in a restaurant and I wanted what I wanted and I was willing to, to, to hold out until, until I, until I found that position. So now you're now living on the West coast. You've changed your diet. Uh, you have made many changes in your life. You're feeling better. How are you now doing in your culinary arts educational program? And how is that different from your academic performance before you made those changes? I was finally pursuing my dream. Um, so I, I, was, I was pretty focused and I, I, did, I did pretty, pretty well in culinary school, especially um, the, the pastry section because desserts have always been my favorite. So it was, it was, it was easy, relatively easier for me to concentrate and, and do well. But you were also feeling better at the same time, right? Yes. So you now graduate from culinary school and you are now holding out for your dream job of working as a private chef. Were you able to locate work doing that? And how was your health developing at that time? Um, so when I moved, when I moved to LA, I, I was working for, um, a young woman and in, in, uh, she was very close to my age and I was helping her cook and clean and, and, and do all that. And I worked with her for six months and then she moved away. So, uh, she moved away to another country and that left me on unemployment. And that's when I enrolled in culinary school. So, was on unemployment throughout culinary school and after I graduated. And I found it very challenging to, to get the job that I wanted. Um, so eventually, um, even though my, my, my health was, was pretty good, um, I inadvertently, I don't want to say inadvertently, um, 
I cut out, I cut out pretty much all refined carbohydrates and I was on a very meat chicken and turkey centered diet with vegetables. And I felt well, um, I didn't go on the diet to try to help any health issues. I went on the diet because, um, at the time I was, I was kind of suffering for some, some body issues, you know, living in Los Angeles, you become very aware as at least as a young woman, you become very aware of how many quote, beautiful people there are. And I ended up putting a lot of pressure on myself and, I started, you know, cutting out carbohydrates, thinking, thinking that was the way to go, but I can't help thinking that, you know, I, I felt good at that time, not, not eating those carbohydrates. Um, but I wasn't, I wasn't able to find a job and eventually my unemployment did run out and I had to move back home with my parents temporarily for six weeks. And then I found a job in San Diego. So I was able to move back out to California. And this was in 2012. So Aaron, we've heard from a lot of past podcast guests that they have developed eating disorders or, or body issues because of Lyme disease that they never had before. So do you think that Lyme in any way contributed to these body issues you developed when you moved to LA? Wow. I've never heard that before. Um, that's fascinating. Um, I want to say no, but I, I can't be for certain. It's, it's almost impossible to tell, of course, right? It's more of a, it's more of a, a guess at this point, but we have identified a pattern of a lot of people with Lyme disease, especially chronic Lyme disease at the later stages, they do develop anorexia, body dysmorphia and things like that, that they said they've never had before. So I think that's an interesting note to put out there for our listeners and maybe for you, Aaron, to, to digest on as well after this podcast. So another question I wanted to follow up with you on is you did mention when you moved to LA from Boston, that your sinus issues kind of went away. So I can't help but wonder, we've heard that as well from a lot of people when they've had these types of chronic sinus infections and chronic things that have just went away after moving that they then can make a connection with their Lyme specialists that they could have been exposed to mold, which was keeping them sick with these sinus type problems. So did you or, or your doctors ever explore the option of maybe having mold exposure back in Boston? And that's why you started to feel better when you moved to LA a little bit in that regard? Never, never. So these, these are the type of types of things that Rich and I always talk about that I think need to be more prevalent in the medical community to make these types of observations, because they could have helped you probably back then to make some connections that could have led back to Lyme disease because mold susceptible, you know, being susceptible to mold illness is definitely a sign of potential of something like Lyme disease when others may not be experiencing the same symptoms that you are. So now, talk to us about your move back to um, back home, and then you, you said you, you found the job, and then you went back to California. So what was this job, and then how did your life progress at that point? Um, I found a job um, on Craigslist, and it was for a live-in housekeeper slash cook um, in San Diego, in, in La Jolla, actually. And it was uh, unpaid, but as long, but my, my rent was going to be free. I was so unhappy living at home those, those few weeks with my parents. Um, I didn't care that I was going to go back out there with, 
I just, I just needed a way to get back out there. And I told myself I would figure it out and, and, and find a way to make money. So they graciously and generously put me, put me on a plane to San Diego. And it was this absolutely stunning house in, in La Jolla, uh, looking over the ocean in the hills of La Jolla. It was gorgeous. And it was these two guys, um, one of them a professional poker player, and I'm not sure what the other one did, who shared the house. And they took turns sharing the house and, and having their guests come. And I was responsible for the, for the cooking and cleaning. And it morphed, it morphed into um, me just doing the, the cooking because the house was enormous. It was too much for me to focus just, you know, to focus on both. So I was eventually able to just, just do the cooking. And um, I loved it. It was the greatest experience of my life. And how was your health at this time? Was it getting any better, any worse? Was it sort of plateauing? So at that time, when I, when I, when I took that job in June of 2012, for that year prior, kind of when I you know, had my eating disorder, um, or at least disordered eating. But when I, when I took the job, I started introducing, um, I started eating normally again. And, um, but I, 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 I had lost, I had lost my period for a year, uh, prior to that when I, when I wasn't eating the carbohydrates. So when I started eating normally again, my period came back and man, it came back with a vengeance. Um, this was the first time I really had my period off, off the birth control pill. So I, the pain the, the pain was unreal. And I just, I just was eating so many, so much candy and cookies and because I had kind of starved myself for a year prior. Um, but I, but I felt okay health wise. So at this point, I just have to wonder, so you're having all these, these strange health issues. You have no period to having a, a period with vengeance. And then you also had all these, these GI issues and food sensitivities and, and SIBO, you've been at a SIBO diagnosis. Did anybody ever say that, Hey, look, we should dive deeper to see what's causing all these problems. Or was it really just treating the surface level symptoms with your doctors at this point? It was always, always surface level. No one, no one ever recommended a, a deeper look into it. Did your, did your doctor who diagnosed you with SIBO tell you that it can cause a lot of food related symptoms and, and reactions and sensitivities? No, I, I don't remember him ever giving me anything specific about it because at the time it was such a new term that was, that was in 2008, maybe. Um, and you know, this was before, this was before social media. So I, you know, he said, you know, there's this, there's this, this term SIBO it's, it's kind of, it's kind of this new, this new thing we're, we're, we're hearing about. So there, there really wasn't too much information on it. For those listening, SIBO, I believe, stands for small intestinal uh, bacterial overgrowth. Is that correct, Aaron? Yes. So now talk us through your, you're working at this beautiful home with two, it sounds like very nice men that you're working with and, and you become, it sounds like their, their chef, their personal chef. And, and you're still feeling all right, but you're just having now your, your menstrual cycles becoming more and more extreme. So what happens next at this point? Um, so I was at this job um, for, for nine months, um, while it was incredible. And I, I met my, 
now boyfriend there. He was, he was the assistant. I was the chef. Um, the job really burned me out. It was, um, well, like I said, it was the most incredible experience of my life. I got to do things that I never dreamed I'd be able to do. Um, it burned me out. And after nine months, I, I left and I moved to Las Vegas. I moved to Las Vegas in the spring of 2013. And I kind of just took a couple of months off because I was so burnt out from the job. And um, I worked on I worked on a food truck for, for a few weeks. And after that experience, I started working for a couple that was friends with one of the guys that had the house in La Jolla. And I ended up becoming their, their chef for, for six and a half years in Las Vegas. So what caused you to move to Vegas? It sounds like you went there and worked on a food truck before finding that job. So what caused you to leave? Well, I guess it sounds like you were, you were burnt out and that was a trigger for you to leave the job as the personal chef. But why go to Vegas? Well, one of the guys I was working with, he, he lived there. So I had kind of become familiar with Vegas at that time. My now boyfriend, who wasn't my boyfriend then, um, the assistant, he, he lived in Las Vegas. Um, I don't know, something, something pulled me there. Something, uh, the, the living was cheaper and I was, you know, I wanted to take some time off. So it made sense. Well, let me, let me, let me move somewhere where it's a little less expensive and I, and I can take a little time off and it won't ad- adversely affect me too much uh, financially. Um, something, something pulled me there. And I, now I know what it is, but at the time I just kind of went with my gut feeling. So Aaron, talk to us more about your health when you moved to Vegas and how your health either improved or declined throughout that time period. Uh, when I moved to Las Vegas, I developed um, allergies that I had never had before. I mean, horrible allergies. Um, I, I learned living there that that wasn't abnormal, but no one ever told me that prior to moving there. And if I had known, I don't, I don't know if I would have moved there. They were, they were bad. Um, so I moved there in the spring of 2013 and it was November of 2013 is when my health started to take a turn for the worse. So talk to us more about that in November, 2013. What do you mean by your health started to take a turn for the worse? What were your symptoms and how did they start to worsen? Um, I started developing what would be categorized as very autoimmune issues. Um, at first I, I, I thought I was developing lupus. Um, I had an ex-boyfriend, my, my first, my first boyfriend actually had lupus. So I was kind of familiar with the symptoms and I was one of the symptoms of lupus is developing a, a butterfly rash across your face. And I, and I had that coupled with uh, severe fatigue, um, just very achy. My joints were starting to bother me a lot. Um, I was just, I was so tired, not, not, oh, I, I didn't sleep last night. I like, no, I, I can't move my body tired. So these are all your, your health obviously was never great throughout your entire life. And now you're getting these new symptoms and you suspect lupus. And I think that was a very good observation that you made because of, of the rash and, and your experience with your ex-boyfriend. 
But did you go to a rheumatologist? Did you see doctors? Did you try to figure out what was going on now as your health took another turn for the worse? I didn't see a rheumatologist. I started seeing a naturopathic doctor um, in, in November of 2013. Um, my, my friend, my friend recommended her and she was, she was wonderful. She, she tested me for, um, I think, uh, I think the test is an ANA screening and that tests for, yes. for autoimmune issues. Um, I tested negative for it. Um, you know, my, she did a full, a full thyroid panel. Um, I can't remember what else she tested me for it at the time, but, but everything came back negative that she tested me for. And that's not uncommon, Aaron, because I myself had gone through a lot of autoimmune symptoms as well. And my neurologist had run a whole full battery of tests. And one of them eventually popped positive for high levels of ANA, the anti-nuclear antibodies. And then at that point, it just remained unspecific until a possible lupus diagnosis. But many people in the Lyme community believe that mm -hmm. these symptoms are a direct result of chronic Lyme disease and tick-borne illness. So do you think what you were experiencing was a true autoimmune condition that was separate and distinct from your tick-borne illness and Lyme disease? Or do you think that was really just a, a, a new symptom as your chronic Lyme was developing and getting more, more and more aggressive in your body? I think it was a new, a new symptom um, related to the Lyme. And if, if I may add, I think it's very possible I've been sick my whole life. But, you know, again, this was November of 2013. I went home to visit my family in Massachusetts in May of 2013. And so this would have put me at almost six months or at six months later. I have no idea if I was if I was bitten by a tick in May, but I but I find the timing very, very interesting. I mean, it sounds like from my perspective, you were probably sick your whole life, possibly even from congenital Lyme through one of, you, you know, your mother, possibly, and living where you lived in, in the Lyme belt, right? You could have been reinfected various times throughout your life, including when you went home in 2013, you could have been reinfected again, and your body was already so compromised that you then took a turn for the worse even more because of that. Yes, I, I, I believe that's, that's a high, highly probable. So when you went back home, so, you, so now you're having all these autoimmune issues. You said you went back home again for a little bit and you, and, and, and before that you went to this naturopathic doctor. So talk just more about the naturopath. And you did mention that you did a lot of autoimmune testing and they all came back negative, but you were still sick and naturopaths are known for getting to the root cause and not giving up. So what did the naturopath do after that? When you had all these negative autoimmune tests? So she, um, I remember she tested me in November of 2013. I think we did a little more testing in December, possibly January, because um, I still wasn't feeling well. And every, everything came back negative, except, you know, I've, I've always had either low red blood cells or I've been borderline anemic. And that's, that's been a constant throughout my whole life. Um, but, but other than that, um, my thyroid and she being a naturopath, she knew, knew to test for, to do a full thyroid panel and any, anyone listening, if, if you go to a traditional, uh, Western medicine doctor, they only like to test you for your TSH, but there's so many other different components involved with your, with your thyroid. There's the T3, the T4, the reverse T3. 
And she knew to test for all of those. And I'm very thankful for that. Um, And while all of my thyroid levels came back within limit, a couple of them were on the, were on the lower end. And she, she took note of that. And we both decided that I would start taking a natural thyroid medication. Um, I can't remember the name of it. And wow, um, it really helped with my energy. It just, it's like, I, I hadn't, had coffee in years, but it was like having a shot of espresso and it, it worked. And I, I felt good. I felt good, um, for a few months, but I also started, um, getting very nauseous a lot. I remember, I remember that was, that was a, I, I had, I was dealing with some nausea in my twenties. I'm, I'm now in my thirties at this point. I, I remember, I remember, um, nausea, nausea was a problem. So I, but I have this newfound energy with this thyroid medication. So Aaron, we're starting to learn more and more about the thyroid and your hormones and all things related to dysregulation in your body caused from Lyme disease. And we interviewed Dr. Mueller from Medicine with Heart last week. And she talked to us in great detail about when we get sick from Lyme disease, it has such a negative impact on our hormone regulation. And from many different perspectives, because it actually affects how the brain can detect hormones to then downregulate the production of them. And also just causes things to be so out of whack that it just can overproduce adrenaline and other harmful hormones in, in high doses. So she also noted that because of, of these types of things, doctors will generally look for a deeper root cause for hormone dysregulation. So did your naturopath talk to you about why your hormones are so out of whack at this point, or did she just, was she just so happy to find it that she wanted to treat you and then follow up to dig deeper later on? No, she never dug for the root cause, um, which I don't know if I was ever really thinking about it at the time, but looking back, I'm, I'm, I'm disappointed because that's why I chose seeing a naturopath. I, I want the root cause. And again, I'm still struggling with these horrible, horrible, painful periods and, um, you know, she did test, uh, my progesterone was, was quite low. I mean, very, very low, which is notorious for, you know, if your estrogen and progesterone level are, aren't balanced. Um, and if you have low progesterone that, that can cause, um, very painful periods, but she, even though I was taking a natural thyroid medication, um, she decided that maybe me going on some bioidentical progesterone therapy was a good idea. So I did that. Um, and that didn't do anything for me. So even though we were treating naturally, I was still treating, I wasn't treating the root cause. We were just treating the symptoms. Lauren, we want to thank you for being so open with us about your problems with your period and, and, unfortunately, because Rich and I are both men, we don't have a lot of guests share that with us. And it really is a important part of Lyme disease. We've heard offline, a lot of people tell us they've developed severe endometriosis as a result of Lyme disease and severe issues with their, with their periods and their cycles. And some of the people out there that are really knowledgeable in this area are Makila Voucher. If you want to look out for her on social media, she actually is really well-versed in this topic. And also Alyssa Lascala, who's a health coach. She is, is, brilliant and has a ton of information. So if you're looking for resources or anybody listening to help with endometriosis or problems with your period due to Lyme, there's, there's some really good resources out there on social media that, that can help. So, but thankfully you were getting some symptom relief due to the thyroid medication, which, Hey, symptom relief is symptom relief, even if it's not the root cause. Right. So that's, that's great. Um, (laughs) So talk to us more about how things progressed. You went home to your parents after this, you came back, 
And did your health continue to improve? Did it backslide? Where did it go from there? So I want to say that I started taking the thyroid medication in um, probably June, May or June of 2014. And six months later, um, I, I, I'll never forget, I was uh, getting out of the shower one morning, dry, drying off, and I started to have this really hot sensation on the back of my neck. I mean, hot, like I've never experienced before. Like I thought it was going to implode and the heat just kind of went up, uh, went up my neck in, into my head region. And I, I was scared. I, I, I didn't know what was happening to me. Um, so I went out, I went outside in my bathrobe, just, just trying to cool down. Um, I could just feel my whole body on fire. I don't know how long this lasted. Obviously it felt like eternity to me, but it probably lasted one or two minutes. Um, but I, I don't know what that was, but I feel like that was a turning point of some sort. I don't know what, I don't know if anyone else has ever, ever mentioned that to you related to Lyme. Um, I don't know if it is related to Lyme, but I decided after that, I wanted to go off the thyroid medication. Um, I, I was, I was concerned that maybe it was becoming too, too overactive at this point. So we, we have had many guests tell us that they've had a, an identifying moment where they had this health crisis like you described and their health was never the same. And it varies, but some people have shared with us that it's been similar where it's been this, this you know, the overwhelming sense of heat in their body um, and usually comes after some sort of traumatic event. So is there anything going on in your life at this point, whether it was an emotional trauma or stressor or physical stressor, like you had an injury that you think could have caused this, this defining point in your health that caused you to take an even more of a, of a decline down with, with your overall health? So I would say about six to nine months prior, six, six months, maybe I started working with, for lack of a better word, um, my energy healers in Las Vegas. It was a, um, a husband, husband and wife duo. And they performed a lot of Reiki and hypnotherapy and they were my life coaches. And I was starting to do work with them and uncovering a lot of unresolved emotional issues that I, that I've had my whole life. And it was bringing up all sorts of things that I've never dealt with before. So I think there's a huge emotional component to what I was experiencing experiencing physically out. And that's hard because it's an important part of your healing journey to address your emotion, emotions and be able to heal from them. So you don't have these buried emotions keeping you sick. But on the other hand, it sounds like for you, that was almost too fast and too overwhelming that you think it could have led to your, your health decline because it was so much of an emotional response so quickly. Perhaps. I mean, I was already experiencing physical issues. So then coupled with, with all of the emotional issues coming to the surface, um, I already have a pretty sensitive constitution. And I, 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 I do think it was a lot for my body. So Aaron, looking back, and again, this is a hard question. And, well, God bless my naturopath. Let's be honest, she wasn't properly helping me. 
Agreed. And, and I think, you know, to be fair to your naturopath, she did get you some symptom relief, which was great. And I think all of your doctors and health practitioners and coaches together are responsible for your, your health and where you are today. But let's talk more about your energy healers and your health coaches. Do you believe that that was a, an important part of your healing journey? Is that something that you regret? Or do you think that was a really powerful part of your healing journey? No, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be here today without them. I would not be here today without them. And as I said, you know, a little while ago in the podcast, I didn't know what was pulling me to Las Vegas. Um, I believe I was, I was meant to connect with them um, because the work that I did with them, it, it saved my life. Emotionally, it's, it's, it saved my life. So, so primarily from an emotional standpoint, they were the missing link to the emotional healing of your Lyme journey, it sounds like. Yes. So talk to us more about the physical healing, because you still haven't gotten diagnosed with Lyme disease yet, right? So you're still just on this journey of, I have all these things going on and you're playing whack-a-mole and these new symptoms are popping up and you're hitting them over here and this other symptom pops up. So when did you finally get diagnosed with Lyme and who thought finally, hey, you probably have Lyme disease? Um, so I finally got diagnosed in April of 2019, which was, which was many, many years later. And that was through um, a different naturopathic doctor. I was following a medical doctor on, on Instagram. Her name uh, was Dr. Jessica Petros. And uh, she worked um, in a clinic in, in San Diego. And I really, really wanted to see her because she was starting to post all these things online about Lyme disease and mold. And I was starting to think, hmm, I, this might be what I'm suffering with. Um, it, she had a year long wait, but one of her colleagues um, who I started working with, her name was, um, her name is uh, Dr. Star Ramson. And she works at uh, Nourish Medical Clinic in San Diego. And she's, she's absolutely wonderful. And she is the one that suggested I test for Lyme disease and, and mold. So when she suggested Lyme disease, what was your response to that? Did you understand how severe Lyme could be? Did you, you know, or, or did you totally not really even think anything of it because it was so insignificant in your mind at that point? I was more familiar with it at that point than, than at any other point in my life. Um, simply because of thankfully social media and, 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 and learning more about it. Um, but I don't, I don't think I comprehended the, the severity, the full severity of it at that time. And, you know, this whole mold component, we're coming back to the earlier parts of your journey when you had these symptoms that would come and go when you would move away from areas that were probably known to be more mold infested than others. So did it, did it click with you at that point with your, with your new naturopath that, wow, maybe this has been a problem for, for decades for me. Definitely. And I, and I, I, I did test positive for, um, for, for very high levels of mold in my body. Well, and thank God you finally found this naturopath and you now have a positive Lyme diagnosis and positive mold diagnosis. Did she test for any other co-infections as well? No, she did not. Um, and I don't believe, I, I can't remember if that was her decision or mine or a joint decision. Um, you know, these tests are, are expensive and I was, I was paying out of pocket and, um, 
I think we just kind of decided let let's test for the for the most important things at that time. So I think it's important to note that you were sick about when you were five years old, and it took you approximately thirty years to get a proper diagnosis. Correct. I've I've never heard I've never heard it said out loud. When you say it out loud, it's it's overwhelming to hear that. But yes, you're right. Yeah, and I think it's a testament to your strength that you never gave up and you kept looking for doctors, especially after you saw so many naturopaths and weren't properly diagnosed. So so kudos to your strength to finally find the answer, which you did. Um, so Aaron, talk to us more about now when you had these positive tests, and this is again now is now 2019, the middle of 2019. What did you decide to do from a treatment standpoint with your naturopathic doctor? Um, so I started having developing some teeth problems at this time. Um, I had a lot of decay in my mouth and I'm not, I was never one to neglect my teeth. Um, growing up, I used to get cleanings three times a year, but I had all of this decay in my mouth. And at the time that I got diagnosed with Lyme, my teeth problems were so bad. I, I, I needed to have some teeth extracted, um, which was devastating for me. So I wanted to focus my time, money and energy on treating the Lyme. But unfortunately I had to put my money into my teeth at that time. And so shortly after my, my Lyme diagnosis that, that summer, the summer of 2019, um, I have three teeth removed, which was, um, very traumatic for me. And going forward, um, I've, I've now had seven teeth removed. Um, one of, one of them, um, was a root canal that I had done when I was 19 years old. So I took out an almost 20 year root canal. Sadly, it's my front tooth and all of the reading and research I did around Lyme, you know, it says having a root canal can be a very potential breeding ground for this, the spirochetes. Um, you know, the, the bacteria, the, the Lyme bacteria. So I was like, well, I, I got to take out my root canal. I don't, I don't, I don't want that to be adding any, any more stress on my body. Um, so the, the dentist that did pull out my, my old root canal, um, it did, it, it was, it, 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 it was infected. So I'm, I'm very happy that I took it out, but now I don't have seven teeth in my mouth. Um, I've spent almost $20,000 on taking teeth out of my mouth and, dealing with cavitations and spending all of that money has not allowed me to put the money. I would as much money as I would like toward my Lyme treatment. So, and it sounds like you, from my, in my opinion, you made a really good decision because we've heard from so many doctors that oral health is such an indicator of, of your physical health. And we know the spirochetes like your oral, you know, like to hide in your, in your, in your mouth and in your gums and, and in cavities around your teeth. And we've heard from, from DNA Connections, we interviewed Dr. Leslie Douglas, who talked to us about how certain oral bacteria can actually prevent you from healing from Lyme. So many people use DNA Connections to test to see what bacteria exists in their mouth, and then also address that with Lyme disease. So I think that was a really important first step, because it may have prevented you from actually healing if you jumped right into the Lyme healing approach of your healing journey. So that, that really is, I think, a, a good, smart step you and your doctor made. But... Talk to us about how you felt during and after these procedures, because we know that that 
any kind of procedure can be traumatic physically and emotionally to go through uh, go through things like this. And it's also bringing all that bacteria to the surface, right? Because it's buried in your in your you know really underneath your teeth. And as you're removing the teeth, the bacteria are coming out. Did you have any sort of reactions afterwards because of of moving around and stirring up all this bacteria in your mouth? I did. Um, and I wasn't being properly treated at the time to, to, to nobody's fault because I was, again, I was putting all my money toward my teeth. So I wasn't, I wasn't working with a practitioner with my naturopath at the time to properly detox while I'm having these dental procedures. But yes, after one of my cavitation surgeries and for anyone unfamiliar with a cavitation, um, it's, it's where bacteria can grow at an old extraction site or a new extraction site, um, in the, in the, in the, in the, in the jawbone, um, shortly after one of my cavitations, um, and I've never had any adverse reactions to teeth extractions, but shortly after or dental work, but after this, I, my face, um, kind of got puffy and underneath my eyes, um, they were very red. They were very puffy all actually all around both of my eyes. Um, and I didn't put two and two together initially, but I, I realized, oh my goodness, you know, we're, we're doing all of this, this, this work in my mouth. It is exposing a ton of bacteria. And if my body can't properly detox, I bet that, that bacteria is just constantly circulating throughout my body. So I had those red rings and puffiness around my eye for a few months until I did some ozone therapy and it went away after the ozone therapy. And it makes sense because Lyme, which is, uh, I'm sorry, the spirochetes, which is the Lyme bacteria, bacteria love the mouth. And there are a ton of other pathogens that can live in the mouth as well. So as you stirred that up, of course, you were experiencing less bacteria coming out and you weren't doing anything to help kill off the bacteria and then help your body detox the, the kill off of, of the bacteria. So talk to us more about ozone. So what, type of ozone do you use? Cause we know there's many different types you can do you, you know, from, from rectal to oral to IV. So what kind of ozone did you use and how quickly did you feel symptom relief from all, all of your, your inflammation and bacteria in your, in your mouth? Um, so I want to say at this time, um, I had to stop working. I left my, my job as a private chef in March of 2020, uh, 2020. 2020, um, right at the beginning of the pandemic. Um, and I was thankfully given, given some severance money and I decided, okay, well, with this severance money, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna throw everything that I have at trying to get better. And I wanted to try some ozone therapy and I did, um, some intravenous ozone therapy, um, 10 pass and, um, and I did a couple of uh, ozone sauna sessions as well. And I did not feel well doing it. Um, I mean, I, I already was feeling very, very sick. I mean, I was sick enough that I had to leave my job, which is not something I wanted to do. But um, I guess I had a lot of die off during, during the ozone therapy. Um, you know, some people say they start feeling better right away. Um, I did not start feeling anything until a few weeks after, after doing three intravenous IV ozones and, and two ozone saunas. But I remember, uh, I woke up one day, maybe, maybe a month later, 
maybe six weeks. And I woke up one day and I had more energy than I, I can remember in a long time, not enough to go run a marathon, but more than I, than I had had. So looking back, do you think ozone is something that was helpful in your journey? Or is that something that you would have skipped if you could have had the insight you have now back then? If I could do it all over again, because money, money is money was a finite resource. I couldn't, I really had to pick and choose how to, how to, how to start my healing journey. And I didn't have a clear outline. I was going off of listening to other people and their journeys. But if I could go back in time, I would not have started with the ozone as much as I, I, I loved it. And I wish I could have done 12 sessions. I would have started off detoxing with uh, herbal supplements and, and, and addressing the parasites and not putting my money toward the more expensive treatment. So after getting rid of all of these, these dental issues and oral issues that you had, I know that you went back to your naturopath and it turns out you had even more high levels of Lyme disease in your body as well. So you also did something interesting, right? So you, you talked to us offline a little bit about how you, your doctor told you to use an infrared sauna first to bring out the Lyme to have the most accurate testing possible. So can you talk to us about that? Because a lot of people are always concerned about getting a Lyme test because even the best ones that are out of pocket aren't perfect. So you basically put your body in an optimal position to have the most accurate test possible. So how exactly did you do that? Um, so yes, this was about uh, eight, eight months later, um, I decided to retest because at this point I had dealt with the dental issues thus far, I've developed more, but thus far, and I was ready to finally address the line. So I wanted to get retested just to make sure. So I had bought um, a relatively inexpensive sauna blanket. It looks just like a sleeping bag, but it has the, the infrared uh, sauna component to it. So I did that at home for maybe, maybe 30 minutes or so. And then I went to the lab and I, you know, I had the blood drawn for the Lyme. And when my results came back, I, I tested for even more Lyme bands than I did with the first test. And from a time perspective, this was relatively, relatively recently within the last year or so, I think, right? Yeah. So this, this, uh, this second testing for the Lyme was done in uh, February of 2020. Um, and then it was a month later that I left my job. And, um, you know, I told her that I was going to do some sauna, uh, some ozone treatments, but she was, um, you know, she agreed with very much after, after getting the ozone treatments, I started developing chronic liver, liver pain. Now I did have liver pain prior, maybe on and off for a couple of years, but I wouldn't say it was chronic, but now, now it was it was constant liver pain and my naturopath recommended that I take some supplements. Um, I can't remember what they were to, you know, support the, the, the liver detox pathways, anything that I took, it wasn't helping. Um, I almost felt as though my liver pain was worse off. Um, so I wasn't, I didn't really continue working with her directly at this time. And I kind of took my treatment into my own hands and wanted to start doing some parasite cleansing and anything that I took, it just made my liver pain worse. And this was, you know, late, this was the fall of 2020. So a year ago, and it just came to a point where I was like, you know what, I'm, I'm not going to do anything. I'm going to stop treating altogether. 
I don't want to take anything. And I just, I just want to give my body a break. And I, and I did for a few months. I just, I didn't do anything. How did you feel throughout this time when you pulled, stopped all your treating and you kind of just pulled back? Did your health plateau? Did you feel worse? Did you feel better? Um, it stayed the same, which was bad. <laughs> um, the only thing, the only thing that was better again with the ozone, it, it gave me, it gave me some energy. Um, but still, you know, I, I still can't do tasks from, for, for long periods of time. I, I, it's, it's a, it's a very short duration, but, um, prior to the ozone, I had a very hard time even lifting my arms in the shower or lifting a bag. Um, but the ozone allowed me to, to be able to lift, lift things again. So ozone really did have a positive impact on your healing journey, although you were a little bit sicker after getting it, probably because it was killing so many things off. I think in the long run, it really helped you in your healing journey. Would you agree? Yes. So now I know we're getting close to the, the present date here. Uh, you know, you took this break mid last year. We're getting into this year a little bit. So did you have you picked up anything since, or are you still in that period of, of not treating, you know, what, what are you doing today to address your health? Um, so there were, there were some various things that I tried along the way um, with, from last fall until now, but the thing that I've done most consistently over the past, I want to say three or four months is um, I've been working with this acupuncturist. She's in Los Angeles. And while we don't do acupuncture, she does uh, muscle testing. And I have seen her a couple of times in person, but she's able to do the muscle testing over Zoom. I have no idea how it's done. It's like, it's like magic to me. And she treats a lot of people with Lyme. In fact, I found out about her through someone very vocal in the, in the Lyme community on, on Instagram who raved about her. So I started working with her. And the first time I went to her, um, she did some in-person testing to see how my organs were functioning. Um, I can't remember what kind of testing it was. It was, I was hooked up to some things through a computer and my organs tested very, very poorly. Um, you know, I think she downplayed it, but she said, you know, Aaron, in so many words, you're, you're not in good shape here. Um, and I knew that, um, just by the way that I felt. Um, so over the past three to four months, every week, give or take, I've, I've had to take a couple weeks off here and there. She muscle tests me to see how mine's are, um, responding and what my greatest weaknesses are. And it's the most consistent thing I've done in my healing journey thus far. And I'm taking supplements that are specifically geared to one toward my body, because I was telling her about all of the supplements I was taking and she, and she muscle tested me for those particular ones. And they weren't in line with what my body needed. Um, so I feel really good about the ones I'm taking are the ones that my body wants. And it's, 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 a, it's been a slow process, but we are focusing on parasite cleansing, um, dealing with the yeast, dealing with the fungus in my body and, um, a lot of liver, liver detoxification. Um, I don't feel any better physically, but I will say the one thing that I have noticed, and I don't know if it has to do with the herbal supplement that I'm taking for the fungus, 
a few days after I started taking that one, I noticed a lift in my brain fog and my brain fog has been really, really bad. Um, and it's while I'm nowhere near as clear as I would like to be in, in my, in my cognitive abilities and my, in my memory recall, I feel as though a cloud has been lifted and it makes me feel like I'm on the right path. Aaron, that's amazing. So you're, it sounds like you're going to keep treating on with, with this doctor you're seeing this acupuncturist and, and doing the muscle testing to address the specific ailments that you're finding as a result. And clearly you're having success so far, even though it's been so, so, you know, short term at this point. Now talk to us about, talk to us about what your plans are for the future. Are you going to do anything else? Or are you going to stick with this, this, this current plan and continue to muscle test and continue to treat with herbs as a response to the muscle testing? Um, yes, I'm going, I'm going to continue with it. Um, unfortunately, as you know, with Lyme, it's a very difficult and expensive to a disease to address. And, you know, most things are not covered by insurance and I've, I've put everything, everything that I've had to try to get better financially at this. And, you know, I can't work. I, I still, I still am not capable of working. So going forward, I'm not going to be able to treat with her as often as I would like. And, you know, that's probably going to slow down my progress quite a bit. Um, you know, hopefully I'll be able to treat with her at least once a month, but beyond that, I, I, I can't do more, um, which sucks because <laughs> I, I just, I just want to get better. Um, you know, I had mentioned earlier, if, would I, would I have started with ozone therapy? No, I would have started with what I'm doing with her right now, because I think the most important thing from all my research is to address the parasites and the mold and, and the yeast. I think that's very, very important, but if, if I, if I could afford to do so, I would, I would do a lot of, um, colonics. I would, I would get acupuncture. I would do some lymphatic drainage massages. Um, I think these are all very important modalities to, to do in conjunction with, with, the, with the parasite detox as well. So, and Rich is going to get more into you, uh, talk to you more about the resource constraints and, and how to possibly manage that. But before I hand you over to Rich, I do want to ask, what are some of the herbs you're taking with this acupuncturist after muscle testing? And which ones do you think are, are working the best in your healing journey? Oh my goodness. There's uh, so many. Um, the thing that I'm taking for the yeast is I'm taking um, olive leaf extract. Um, I'm taking things to support my... Uh, my lymphatic system, um, my liver, I'm taking, um, 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 mimosa pudica, I, I believe that's what it's called. I'm, I'm taking Mirinda. Um, I'm taking, um, a parasite complex. I think it's, uh, Ar artemisin, if I, if I'm, uh, pronouncing that correctly, I'm taking probiotics. Um, I'm taking, um, things to address the gut. I can't remember. I can't remember what they are. I'm taking, um, there's, there's so many, Matt, 
I wish I wish I had them all lined up right here to Aaron, that's to been be great. more specific. And I know Rich is going to kill me because I keep talking, but this is my last statement and Rich will pick up after this. Everything you just mentioned, all of those herbs and supplements you're taking, they address a wide variety of things from bacteria to viruses, to parasites, to fungus. And I think that's the real best approach to take to treat chronic Lyme because it's never just the Lyme bacteria causing you to be chronically ill. And it sounds like you're finally on the path to whole body healing with your current herbal protocol. And I'm really excited to see how you start to feel in the near future. So with that, I'm going to hand you over to Rich, but I think that you're in a really good place. Thank you, Matt. So Aaron, why don't you talk to us about um, the journey and the beauty of the journey, meaning what have you learned about yourself and your purpose as you're going through this process of healing from Lyme disease? I'm so happy you asked me that question because I, having Lyme disease has been the greatest blessing, even though it's been the most painful experience, um, at least physically it's been the greatest blessing because it's been, it's been such a spiritual journey. Lyme disease is a spiritual journey, at least for me. Um, I didn't talk about it prior, but, um, before I got diagnosed, I went on a healing journey retreat in Spain. Um, I flew all across the world to go do this uh, dry fasting retreat. And for anyone that's not familiar, dry fasting is abstaining from food and water. Um, It's very, um, it's not for the faint of heart. And I went to do it because again, I wasn't diagnosed with Lyme yet. I went to go do it for my painful periods. And it was the most at that time, and maybe to this day, the most profound experience I've ever had. I went three and a half days without any food or water. And when I came back, I felt better than I have in my entire life. I had more energy than, than, than you could possibly imagine And that. And I really, you know, when I came back, I just, I really wasn't eating very much. I didn't need to, I had, I was, I had boundless energy. And for the first time in my life, I had two periods where the pain completely went away. And I was feeling on top of the world and feeling as though, wow, I'm, I, I, I'm, I'm ready to continue on my healing journey. Um, and I, I wanted to continue detoxing because I knew that I was still sick with something, even though I was feeling this great, I, I really wanted to continue. But at that time I was presented with getting into a relationship with, um, my current boyfriend, whom I love dearly and has been my greatest, um, ally and friend throughout this journey. Thank God. But at the time he and I hadn't seen each other or spoken to each other for three years. And I had just come off this really profound experience and he kind of reached out to me and, you know, we were reconnecting and in my gut, something was telling me if I get together with him, I'm not going to focus. I'm not going to continue focusing on my healing journey because I'm the type of person I always put other people before me. And it was kind of this spiritual test, this, un- this universal test. Are you really ready to get better, Aaron? Or are you going to get into this relationship where you know you're going to just focus on him and not continue focusing on you and your healing journey? 
And I was at this crossroad and I decided to, to get into the relationship, which I do not regret, but it kept me from not focusing on me. And like I said, I, I, I don't regret that, but I think Lyme disease for me, the biggest, the biggest learning lesson I've learned is that disease is really not listening, develops as a result of, of not listening to your body and resisting what your soul is telling you. And I was resisting what my soul was telling me. And that was, you need to focus on you, Aaron, and you need to get better because I focused on everyone else my whole entire life. I put everyone else before me. I've bottled all of my feelings and Lyme disease has shown me you can stuff it down as much as you want to. It will always, it will always resurface. Now, Aaron, I want to ask you the final question we ask everyone on the Tick Bootcamp podcast, and that is, if God forbid your boyfriend came walking into your room right after you finished his podcast and he had a tick biting him on his arm, what would you recommend that he do so that he could avoid going on a difficult chronic Lyme disease journey? I don't think I could answer this as well as other people. Um, I think you, you, you have far more information about this than I do. I would suggest doing the traditional, you know, two to four weeks of, of the doxycycline, you know, antibiotics in conjunction with doing a very serious detox protocol doing, uh, you know, with, with, with the, with the herbal supplements. So I, I would suggest doing both. Thank you for listening to the Tick Bootcamp interview with our guest, Erin Myers. To our listeners, we have a call to action. First, if you'd like to learn more about Erin Myers, please visit our Instagram page at Erin Simone Uncooked. Second, if you enjoyed this episode of the Thick Bootcamp podcast, please share with your friends by using the social media buttons you see at the bottom of our post. Third, Tick Bootcamp has created a Tick Bite blueprint that has been inspired by the information that has been shared with us by past podcast guests. We urge you to visit our website at www.tickbootcamp.com to view the blueprint. Please note we would appreciate any input or any improvements you would like to share with us. Fourth, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify to get your automatic episode updates of our Tick Bootcamp podcast. And finally, we thank your community for your comments on our past podcast episodes. Please take a minute to leave us an honest review on Apple Podcasts, on Instagram, or on our website. We make it a point to read every single one of the reviews you are willing to share with us. Thank you for listening.